0: Hi, this is Pastor Danny Deeth and I'm so excited that you have chosen to join us here at First Presbyterian Church for worship today. Know that the love, grace, mercy and joy of Jesus Christ beckon you to join our church family as we seek to celebrate our journey with Christ in this service of worship. So we're glad you're here, come on in.
1: The first reading of the scripture today comes from uh, the psalm in chapter 112 in its entirety. If you like, you may follow with me in your pew Bibles on page 563 in the Old Testament. Praise the Lord! Happy are those who fear the Lord, who greatly delight in his commandments. Their descendants will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. They rise in the darkness as a light for the upright. They are gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with those who deal generously and lend, who conduct their affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. They will be remembered forever. They are not afraid of evil tidings. Their hearts are firm, secure in the Lord. Their hearts are steady. They will not be afraid. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They have distributed freely. They have given to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn is exalted in honor. The wicked see it and are angry. They gnash their teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked comes to nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Our second lesson is taken from Matthew's gospel, as Vicky already lifted up for you. We are in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, having just, uh, Jesus just kicked this off uh, with the Beatitudes. So we are jumping right in at Matthew 5, verses 13 through 20. 5, 13, and 20. Salt and light. Listen again with fresh ears. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, How can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a head cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works And give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I mentioned before, we are just kicking off in Matthew's gospel. We are just in the fifth chapter. So really all that has happened to Jesus is that he's been born. He's been baptized. He spent three days in the wilderness being tempted by the devil in chapter four. And now we are at Jesus's first focused teaching. Jesus is there with his disciples. I'm sure there were others present. This sermon on the mount spans from chapter 5, which we just started, into chapter 7. It begins with the eight Beatitudes, blessed are the meek and the peacemakers, not the cheesemakers, but the peacemakers, Um, all of those things together. And this passage is a bridge, this salt and light and city on a hill, is a bridge to the ethical focuses that will come right after. So Jesus will soon talk about um, reconciliation, divorce, adultery, swearing, uh, an eye for an eye, those kinds of things. So from the Beatitudes, before we get there, we're smack dab right here in salt light and city on a hill. So important is the Sermon on the Mount. Many look at this as being reminiscent of when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. Because when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, it is the focus of Jesus' ministry, what he is there to call others to do, and what he will be doing himself. Very important, focused piece. So today we start with salt. As Vicky mentioned already, the properties of salt that we know and love are what? What does it do first and foremost for us? It tastes good. He doesn't like salt, sugar, fat. All that makes the world go round. Salt, yummy. Number two, what else did it do for those in Jesus' time? Preservative, right. We know that as well. No refrigeration, no power. And so it was a preservative for meat, for vegetables, for different things. But so important was salt to them that They used it in their Jewish rituals. Um, In Leviticus 2.13, it talks about offering salt with the grains, and for every offering, salt must accompany. Hmm. But one of the interesting things about salt is that in that time and in that place, it was also used as currency. So important was salt that Roman soldiers were paid in salt. The word salary comes from salarium, the Latin, which is salt. Salary, the wages that we are paid. Other words that come from that same root word of salt, salami, salt meat, I guess, sausage, salsa, and the big one, Salvation. Salvation has its root in salt because it preserves and it saves that which it touches. Salt was important to them in that day. So they were paid in that salary. But that phrase also is not worth his weight in salt. Not worth his salt. I'm sorry, not his weight in salt. Not worth his salt. And that came again from that Greco-Roman time when people did not do their job, their appointed tasks, and so they didn't earn the salt that they could have as currency. So salt throughout time has been important, but Jesus talking to us about salt is more to do with who we are as people of God. So if Jesus is... Challenging us to become salty, saltier than we already are, not in a curmudgeony kind of negative salty oh salty, salty. but in more of a positive sense of salty, then that's what we are to embrace. to become salty. So if we take what is bland, if we look at it from food, bland and tasteless, salt lifts that up for us. There's so much faith in the world that is bland and tasteless that it needs the salt of those who are passionate, who are excited, and who want others to know as well. So last night we had a friend over uh, from out of town and she went to Uh, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And there was a basketball game on last night, Chapel Hill and Duke. Huge rivalry. We used to live in Raleigh, so we were right there in that triangle. We know the power of that rivalry. This year, Duke is number seven, ranked number seven, and Carolina is not ranked. But as we turned it on towards the second half of the game, Carolina was all over. them, And as they got closer to the end, Duke just chipped away just a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. So right at the end, Trey Jones was able to put up sideways, backward, throw it up there, made it, tied it. So they went into overtime. So it was five minutes. Now this is keeping me up late. It's like 8.30 on a Saturday night. And you benefit because every overtime, the sermon gets shorter. So we're in overtime and it's five minutes, and so come back like this last two minutes to watch the end. And again, they are back and forth, they are nose to nose. Now Carolina got two what could be considered bad calls against them. So Duke gets the ball, they're behind by one or two, and right at the buzzer that same Trey Jones puts it up and it misses, but a teammate gets it, smacks it in right at the buzzer, Duke comes back from this and wins, Ah, place goes crazy. So I was coming in to church this morning, listen to ESPN radio, and they will often play the local radio commentators take on what happened at the game. So they played both the Chapel Hill radio announcer and then the Duke radio announcer. And by this time, the Carolina announcer seemed thoroughly, just, he was done. He knew, almost had a sense of what was coming. He felt like they had been cheated. And so it sounded something like, and Trey Jones has the ball. And he shoots, and he got it. It's overtime. And then to that very end part, and he's got it again. And he puts it up, and the other guy slammed. Oh Carolina Duke wins, Duke wins. And you temper that with the Duke announcer who went into his upper range. I couldn't even understand all the words that he was saying. He was so excited. And Troy just puts it up, and he goes in, and he slams it in, and Duke wins, Duke wins, Duke wins. (laughs) Where in our lives of faith would we be? That first commentator? Now, this isn't attached to winning and losing as it was there. Or that second? Oliver Wendell Holmes, the juror, said, I would have gone into the ministry except too many clergymen that I know act and sound like undertakers. And by the way, undertakers are fun and funny people. You don't know that in the time where you're in an awful, sad, grieving place, but you get them out of that room, you get them uh, uh, out of there, away from the coffins, and they they are funny people. But do we present that image of salt to what could be just a bland and gray, black, and white faith, blah, blah. I follow Jesus, blah, blah. Or is it, guess where? I felt God spoke to me this week. Or is it, guess what we are doing at church? Guess what we are doing? We are serving in the community. Guess who we recognize today? The boost they are fantastic. They are the epitome of salt because they're out doing it. People see them do it. And the thing about salt that brings two of these entities together, you tell me. What do a movie theater and a bar, some of you know more than others, what do they have to do with each other around the idea of salt? What do they both do? How do they use salt? They make you thirsty. When you go to the theater, you get a big bucket of salt that probably costs 12 cents. You paid 25 bucks for it, but you can't eat that without getting a drink, because it's salty. And when you go to the bar, those nuts and those pretzels that are, I'm told, are on the bars, on the bowls, <laughs> why are they there? Well, you're here to We will just help you a little more, drink a little bit easier. They make you thirsty. We are called to be people of salt to go into the world so that others will see that and they will thirst for Christ they will see you and see your faith-based saltiness and say, why is that person so excited about this? Or why does this person want to tell me about something they did this weekend with their church? Or why, 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 why are they, as I observe them, why are they hopeful? We want to do that so it makes people thirsty, so then they'll want a taste of that themselves. We are to make others thirsty with our saltiness. And the other thing is, as salt is pure, how does we lose its saltiness? Does salt ever stop being salt? Well, not really, but if we talk about the Middle East and you see in your mind the Sea of Galilee, that's up north, it's where Jesus started his ministry and then... You see the Jordan River, that comes down where the baptisms were, and then that ends into the Dead Sea. Anybody been to the Dead Sea? One, two, three, go. few. that's all right, of course you have. And so we know the Dead Sea is filled with salt. But it's not just salt. There are other impurities that come in there so that when the sun evaporates some of the water and leaves salt deposits, If other conditions, if other moistures are brought back in, those impurities can affect the saltiness of the salt. It can cease to be salt and become a kind of a diluted bit of salt mixed with these other things. And that's our challenge with what the world offers us. You have been made pure salt. But so often, through the world's offering of what we are told we have to have and be and do, Through materialism, money, possessions, power, our self-centeredness, our inability to step out on our faith, we too can become impure with these other connective pieces wearing us down. So we are to take our salt out to make others thirst for Christ and not allow ourselves to be made impure by what the world gives us. So number two, light. Vicki talked about it. We all know this. We lost power on Friday for about an hour. No storm, nothing going on. We're all just sitting there and power goes out. It's nighttime. Okay. One candle, all it took. Get us back on our feet once we found it. Stumbled around a little bit. But we're called to be that light not for ourselves or even for our church, but for the world. I wanna share with you a story where that was made very profound to me. So August 29, 2005, Hurricane Katrina, Cat 5 hits the Gulf Coast. Especially damaging was New Orleans because of its below sea level and the way that its levees and all, of the, the city is constructed in a bowl. The water had nowhere to go entrapped. It's thought that some 1,800 lives were lost at that storm. So that's August. Fast forward to March. This time, I'm the minister of um, youth and their families at White Memorial Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. So we take a group over spring break to go to New Orleans and work. So we stayed mostly on the North Shore, Mandeville-Covington area, and worked. Homes were destroyed and needed help there. But one day that we went into the Lower Ninth Ward, I know Debbie's taking a group as well, and this is the image. If I was an artist, I would paint this, but I'm not, so I'm going to try to describe it. Sun, we had already been on kind of a day tour all over the city. We were in the Lower Ninth Ward, and there was this long street, and it was dark. The sun had just gone down. Now, these houses had been, for the most part, abandoned, so there was no light. There was no power. So as we drove down this dark, desolate, rubble-filled area, this street... The only light came from several groups on several street corners. We stopped and talked to several of them. This first group was a campus ministry group that had come from somewhere out of state to come and to help. And they had generators and propane, and they were tent camping, and they had lines with all kinds of stuff just hanging out there to work. Then a few blocks down on the other corner, there's a youth group and they are there, similar way. Light generated by what they brought with them, flashlights, lanterns. And as you look down, there were four or five of these different Christian groups, not related, but all rooted in Christ. That as you look, was the only literal light in that horrible darkness. That is the way we are called to be people of light. And we're not made to be people of light, to sit And beam, although we do, we're meant to take our light and take it into the world because there is still so much darkness. And even more than what we just might run into on a day-to-day basis, we need to seek those dark places to take the light of Christ with us. So third city on a hill, easy. We are First Presbyterian Church. We've been here a long time. We are one anchor in this community. There are many, but people know who we are. People know that we are Christians. We have been a light. People have been with us and understand, as we do for other groups that we know and track in the community of times of our growth and celebration and our recent split and brokenness. And now we are growing again into our new family. Everybody sees that and knows that. So where will we be? Will we put our heads down and say, "Dog on it, we're not exactly the way we used to be? Or will we say, you know what? God is calling us to be something new and different and powerful and vibrant in our own way. I hope it's the latter. Because when we become these people of salt and light, then we become that city on a hill. They're watching us no matter what kind of people we are. But if we can be those people who take that salt to them, if we can be the people who take that light to them, then we become that city on a hill that they want to be a part of. And all Christian churches who seek to be people of salt and light together are bonded into the body of Christ, that one city on a hill that welcomes all where the light radiates and where that salty faith comes into play so today we are called to be those people but realize god doesn't say just go do more god doesn't say you are to become people of salt and become people of light jesus tells them and says you are the salt of the earth and you are the light that shines So it's not just, all right, preacher, I'll pray a little more, I'll read the Bible, whatever you want me to do. It's not what this is about. You're already who God made you. Jesus already made you people of salt and light. It's just now getting up and going out and realizing and claiming that to then be God's people in the world. Let's go. Let's go. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.